Welcome everybody to episode 117 of the Startup Show. Today I'm talking to Cedric, who is the CEO and co-founder of SendTask. Today we talk about 64 things, conscious living and entrepreneurship, an investor in the same person. Stay tuned. Welcome to episode 117 of the Startup Show. Today we are here with Cedric, my fellow name owner. It's very excited to be here with you and it's very exciting to meet you here in person. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Cedric, um, it's kind of like awkward and uncommon that I have someone who is named the same uh, name as me, um, but it's exciting because it seems that we have very similar passions and haven't met in such a long time and it's, it's so great to finally meet you. Maybe... Uh, for the audience out there, give us a short introduction about yourself, and then we also talk about why the bags are on the table here. As you already mentioned, my name is Cedric. <laughs> um, I'm also enthusiastic about startups. I started my first company when I was 14, yeah. mostly by accident. Um, and since then, I've been really fascinated with the idea of how do you get from an idea that you had at the bar last night to something that does one million, and one million could be a million dollars in revenue, or a million users, or a million packages shipped. And so, over the last few years, I've uh, I've dabbled in various startups, um, both as an investor and as a founder. And it just so happens that the last few years, I've traveled so much that I uh, decided to give up on having a constant home mm -hmm. and live out of a bag, because um, I think last year I've done over 120 flights, and uh, yeah, it was just not sustainable to have to travel back to my flat just to be there for the flat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so tell me, how, how did that start? Like, how, how did you get down to, like, explain me more about the, your blog, 64 Things. So I was fascinated because, you know, I, I own a lot of gadgets. My wife and I talk about it, like, how much stuff we have lying around. And you were able to actually reduce to a certain amount of pieces that belong to you. Yeah, so it started, I probably started thinking about it maybe like four or five years ago. Yeah. Um, and it started as one of many experiments that I like to do. One day, I, I kind of I was fascinated with the question, how much stuff do I actually own? Mm -hmm. Which sounds like a simple question, but it's hard to put a number to it unless you count it. So what I did is I started to walk through my flat and I collected everything on a spreadsheet. And at that point, I realized, I don't know what the exact number was, but I realized I own 700 things or whatever it was. And I already felt like I live a somewhat minimalistic or simple lifestyle when it comes to things. And so I was a bit shocked. And, and of course, as soon as you have a number, you can start optimizing it, right? And then I started thinking, if I could only own uh, one pair of shoes, which shoes would I own? If I could only own one type of T-shirts, how many T-shirts would I need and what type of T-shirt? Yeah, and that's how I started to think about it. And then about two years ago, I decided to completely give up on having an apartment. And at that point, it suddenly, um, I reduced everything that I have to just 64 things at the time. They all fit into, back then it was still like a carry-on bag, and that's how 64 things, uh, Tell the me, term was coined. Is it, is it like cheaper to live like that overall? So I think it's not a cheap lifestyle. It's a lot, of, like travel is expensive, flights and hotels. For me, probably right now, it's cheaper because most of those trips would happen anyway because I have to travel so much. On top of that, I would be paying for a flat and what, I, yeah. what are all the costs that are associated with that. But I don't think it's cheaper than, in general, living in one place and settling in one place. Right, but in terms of stuff that you own, let's say, excluding the, the apartment? I very rarely make an impulse purchase, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it doesn't happen to us. space. <laughs> so I think I'm uh, pretty immune to... Uh, discounts and like 
the typical things that the media throws us at us to make us buy stuff. So I don't waste a lot of money that way. Usually I think quite a long time before I buy something. Usually it takes me two weeks just to buy like a new pair of pants or whatever because I, I want to be sure like the material is better than what I've had before and it offers some pragmatic benefits. So yeah, I definitely spend less money on things than a lot of other people yeah. that I know. But I probably spend more on experiences and travel. What's interesting about you, um, from all of my shows that I did, I would say you're probably the only one who was fully an investor, fully an entrepreneur, and fully founder. And like, you know, you did like kind of like the whole package. So before maybe we go into like what you're currently doing now at uh, SendTask, mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about your experiences as an investor. I started investing in startups mostly in Switzerland and Berlin about four years ago mm -hmm. with my company Tenderloin Ventures. It's me and my friend who put money together with the idea to invest in companies and then be very active with them, mm -hmm. both to provide value to the startup because they basically get a, an additional workforce, get my inputs. And on the other side, I learned a lot about the process of what goes well and what doesn't go well in that early stage of a startup. So that was the approach. We invested in kind of two types of companies. One is Swiss e-commerce in niche markets, and the other is companies that scale really well. And the criteria there usually is, the way we think about it is like, at scale, you can add 1,000 to 10,000 new members or users without adding one single staff on the company side. Mm -hmm. So there's, for example, one of the investments that we've done is Yodel, a social yeah. network. I actually had Red Alpine, Michael, on the show. Yeah. Uh, well, investors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or Frontify uh, is another one. Just like applications that scale really well once they've reached a certain point. Yeah. Is there something, let's say, when you look at the startups and you say like, okay, like those are the criteria that you would say like they have to be met beyond, let's say, the scalability? Because we invested so early on, usually within the first year, more often within the first six months of the company's existence. It's all about the team and trusting the founders, finding founders that we believe in and which I wanted to spend so much time uh, working with. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say team, because the idea in almost all cases has slightly or not so slightly changed mm -hmm. since that point, right? right? So you figure out what the problems are. Even if it's not a 180 degree pivot, you very often have to change or adapt to market and uh, your learnings. So I think team is the number one thing that I try to assess. Sure, sure. Okay, so let's talk about uh, your current projects because now you switched the sites. You're actually on the founding uh, entrepreneurship side. Maybe give us a little bit of an explanation of um, the different projects that you have, uh, let's say with a focus on, on Sentask. So I'll start with the other two, yes, and then I'll yes. dive into Sentask. Because so. we could talk about those two also for yeah. hours. But <laughs> There's three projects. Number one is a company called Glimpse. Yeah. What Glimpse does, um, it's operating in the US. It's We've used camera systems in bars and restaurants to count the number of drinks that go over a counter. Okay. Um, and we use that to match it automatically to your POS system to report any theft. So in the US, you typically lose between 10 and 25% of your revenues because bartenders just pocket the money. Or let's say they don't follow standard operation procedures. So it's a big problem. That's our way into the market. And then the long-term vision is to build a Google Analytics for bars where we tell you how many people you've had at your bar, demographics, and so on. Yeah. Second project also in the US in San Francisco is Dfinity. Mm -hmm. It's actually between San Francisco and Souk. It's a cryptocurrency. We're building a more scalable version of Ethereum, yeah. meaning more transactions per second, shorter finality time, and also a more powerful virtual machine for smart contracts or distributed mm -hmm. apps. And then third, last but not least, is Sentask. 
which is my brainchild. Um, it came out of my time working as an investor, and it's a task manager, which at the surface sounds very boring because there's at least a thousand task managers, and we've all tried at least 10 different ones, yes. right? And weren't happy with any. What makes Sentask different is that it allows you to share tasks with anyone, not just your team. So I'm sure you've tried similar task managers, Trello. Asana, Trello, Podio, Basecamp. I mean, I think I've tested like 49 or 51 uh, task managers before I decided to, to start this. Or my experience is that if you start to think about communication as assigning tasks versus just sending emails, your life becomes a lot easier because you have a way to track if stuff got done. You have due dates, so you know when the next step is due. It allows you to have very quick conversations about stuff that otherwise required manual emails. In various companies, I've seen how it made us a lot more efficient once we started using Asana or Trello. But the problem that I always saw is we don't just work with our internal team, we work with our clients and suppliers. And for those, I would usually fall back into my old habits and use email. I thought this didn't make any sense because those are the people where I don't know how reliable they are. I want to be most efficient with their time and I'm, in case of suppliers, I'm paying them for their time. So I want to be very efficient. And then I've asked myself, why am, not, am I not onboarding them to Trello or Asana? And the answer was, I didn't want to force them to create yet another account. And also some of these tools are really powerful, but that also means they've grown quite complex. Yeah. So I need to sit down with them and explain the app first. Now what Sentask is, is a very, it combines the simplicity of email with the powerful features of these um, Asana type like shared task managers. And I mean, the feature that we invent is very simple. It allows me to send you a task. All I need to know is your email address and you'll get an email from which you can see the task, open it and edit it yeah. without creating an account. Okay, very cool. I mean, like, you know, before we started season two, I went out to the investors off the record interviews and I asked them what they would like to know. Um, and I do these interviews anyways, and uh, you're an investor yourself, so I'm sure you're gonna know the question I'm about to ask, but a lot of people wanna know, and they say that's one of the biggest reasons why startups fail is because of the product market fit that is not there. So my question to you um, is very simple and it comes directly from the investors. How do you make sure that, let's say, your product fits the market, number one? And if you have not found it yet, how will you make sure that you will find it in the next couple of months? So for Sentask, we have an active user base. We were very lean in our approach. Like I coded the first prototype, which I've tested with maybe five or 10 people around me. And then once that feedback was good, we decided to make it an actual company. From there, we've always, every two or three weeks, we release a new version. So we do, on one side, we try to be very rapid with new features. And on the other side, we build a lot of analytics and dashboards, and we try to get a really good understanding of what happens to you as a new user from the point that you get to our marketing page yeah. and track every step of the process and learn from that. And I mean, we're still learning. We're still seeing people get there and don't find value in, in Sentask. So we're still optimizing that all the time and looking really closely at how people behave during that first initial phase when they discovered the sure. app. How if, let's say you talk a little bit about numbers and statistics, where, where do you stand right now? Oh, we're at a few thousand downloads or installs yeah. or signups, and probably 10% of those people are active right now. But that's including everyone who signed up to the very first prototype. Something that I thought was might be interesting is, where, where is your team of Sentask? If I understood correctly from the website, you're all spread around the world. And if I also understood correctly, you kind of like use your, or like you solve a problem that you have as a team, as a product. Is that correct? Yeah, Did I yeah. understand that correctly? Very correct. So 
<laughs> so SunTask is basically my personal lifestyle applied to a company. So we're a company yeah. without an office. We have 13 people by now in 12 different countries. Mm -hmm. We use two main tools to stay in touch. One is SendTask. We use SendTask to build SendTask, as you mentioned, and the other one is Slack. Mm -hmm. And that's how the team stays in touch with each other. Yeah. So where are you all around the world? In which countries? Oh, uh, Scotland, uh, Bulgaria, Russia, Yerevan, Armenia, Zurich, correct, um, Slovenia. So a lot of like Eastern European countries, yeah. plus Scotland, plus here, plus Austria. You know, a lot of people, when I tell them that my team is also spread around, they're still surprised, which surprises me that they're surprised. <laughs> I think it's still new for like the, the, like most bigger companies are still very much working nine to five in an office where people go to every day, right? Yeah, and write emails. Yeah, and write emails. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think it's the, it's the right setup for any kind of company. I think for us, it makes a lot of sense. I do think that the, bringing the people together and building a culture is extremely important. So what we do is every three to four months, we fly everyone to the same location and we work from one and the same space for a week. Mm -hmm. And that allows us to get a much better feeling for each other and understand who's that person sitting behind Slack or Sentask, who's that person on the other side. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, so let's move on a little bit sure. about the ecosystem, um, which I believe because you travel so much, you probably see a lot of startups, a lot of <coughs> investors around the world. Maybe if you, I don't know, which ecosystem beyond Switzerland you feel the most comfortable with, but maybe you can compare it, let's say, to what you see here in Zurich or in Switzerland in general, and anything that you feel like this is a big differentiator in positive or negative way to the Swiss ecosystem. I would probably pick Berlin because that's yeah. where I've spent a lot of time as an investor. I think one key difference is, or one key difference that I that I've seen in the examples that I've seen is that in Berlin, it's much, much easier to start something which is, requires less money. And also I feel there is more venture capital for that initial first phase. But the downside of that is that people also seem to give up a bit quicker. So I feel it's quicker to get started on something in Berlin, but then it's also easier to let it go. Whereas here in Switzerland, I often feel people think more about an idea or work on a prototype while they still have another job until they reach some sort of product market fit. And only at that point, they raise money. And then very often things play out. Now, that could also mean that it's less, like the projects that happen here are often less risky. Maybe that's the case. But I think both ecosystems have their advantage. The other thing that I've noticed is I feel in Berlin, it's easier to hire people from anywhere in the EU mm -hmm. and have them move to Berlin. Berlin seems to be very cool and people generally like to move to Berlin or yeah. give it a try. Whereas Switzerland, again, it's a bit more of a, a more serious decision because people think of it as a very expensive place. And it's just because we're not part of the EU. I, I feel, in my experience, it's not been as easy migrating people here mm -hmm. as in other places. I, it's interesting. I mean, that's also, by the way, the, the mayor said that like she can do anything on the city level, which is interesting that the canton level needs to decide about the visa. You know, what's interesting, just to wrap up, let's say, the first part of the show about like you, you saw now both sides. Is there a preference to either one of them and why? For me, I definitely like to be on the entrepreneur side, at least for now. Like no one knows what changes. Yes, sure. um, but I enjoy the, like being in the driver's seat and being able to influence and build a culture and work on product and really get involved with all the day-to-day -day decisions. Yeah, so I, I would definitely say I'm very happy on the side that I'm at right now. But that being said, being on the investor side is also extremely interesting because you see many different companies at once and you can see patterns and so I think there's there's 
advantages for both. Right now, I'm very happy being an entrepreneur. <laughs> And what happens here is before the show, I posted on various social media channels that I am going to interview Cedric, and you had the opportunity to actually ask questions. Now, today we have a special case scenario. We got a couple of interesting questions, but my wife had a question, and then she has some unfair advantages, but that's how it is. <laughs> um, digital nomad life. What it's like is something missing because you miss the face-to-face -face interaction of real-life office. So I very often do miss my team. Like it'd be nice to just uh, say, guys, let's go out for dinner tonight. Or even, guys, let's all stay in the office and work on this really tough problem. That's definitely one of the disadvantages. The way I try to cope with it is when we get together, when we fly people to the same location every few months, uh, we really focus on team building and focus on all the hard problems or tough problems. Mm -hmm. So you push them off for that month or you... Yeah, the, the way we try to do it is build a very clear roadmap during that week when we are together. Yeah. So that afterwards, basically everyone knows what they're doing and they can just sprint off and get stuff done. Good. Okay. So thank you to my wife for asking that question. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, don't worry, we're not becoming digital nomads, but I do like the 64 things idea. Uh, the, the spirit behind it is very impressive and um, inspires me. I have five questions ready. Usually I have two pools of questions, one for investors and one for startups. But here I mixed it because I thought it would be interesting to see like these differences um, between an investor and a startup being the same person. So ready for five questions? Always. Up to 30 seconds. What's most important to you in an investor? For me, it's the smart money part. So not the money that they're contributing, but the value that they can bring into the company besides money. Mm -hmm. um, usually that means connections, but in the best case, it means experience in the same field uh, mm -hmm. of company that we're building. And the opposite side now, uh, what's most important to you in an entrepreneur? A certain thirst yeah. for or hunger for success. Because I know there will be tough times and I want to believe that that person will see everything as a challenge and not as a problem. As a challenge and not as a problem. What, what, can you maybe explain the different differentiation yeah, sure. between these two words? I mean, because, you know, like, I guess most people who are not entrepreneurs, I would say they're synonyms. I think I understand you, but maybe. <laughs> so, for, so for me, a problem has a negative connotation. Yes. It means I'm sad or it makes me feel, it doesn't make me feel good. Whereas a challenge is an opportunity for me to grow. It's something that I might not have expected, but if I have a... Uh, an adventurous mindset or, or a curious mindset, I can see what other people might see as a problem, as an opportunity to grow, and that's what I call a challenge. Yeah. Next one. Um, what would you like to see in the next five years in your ecosystem? I'm kind of hopping between different ecosystems right now. So one thing that always bothers me, but I don't really believe that it will change, is how many lawyers are involved in very simple processes in the U.S., yeah, that's something that's frustrating for me as an <laughs> entrepreneur because it just delays stuff. It costs a lot of money. Um, so that would be one thing. If I think about Zurich, I think bringing more talent here would be, uh, would be one ask that I have, like making it easier for, for other nationalities to move here and work here would be a big advantage for a lot of the tech startups that I see here in, in Switzerland. Tell us one thing you learned the hard way as an investor. I think a lot of people lessons and negotiations. And I'm aware that while we're still an investor and an existing company, and we haven't invested yet, we're kind of not sitting on the same side of the table. Negotiations are going on and uh, you have to do due diligence and things might be portrayed a bit better than they actually are. 
I think that's part of the game. But I feel as soon as you've combined and you sit on the same, or as soon as I've invested and I sit on the same side of the table, I think openness is extremely important. I believe in having very open and unstructured uh, discussions and just focusing on what's most important for the business and the entrepreneur instead of any KPIs or metrics or discussing a certain number. It's your time now to to shine, um, especially if you say like this is my going to be my legacy, and you say like this is something that you feel yourself or like you see yourself or everybody sees you as an expert. You have now about 60 seconds to give over like one advice that you would say is everything combined. Let's say in one sentence that you would say you can give my audience on the way. Uh, so I'm going to use something that applies to all areas of life. Yes, I think living very, very consciously. Mm -hmm. um, like live consciously would be my advice. And what I mean by that is the only thing that we're never going to get back is time. What I always try to avoid in my life is regret. So all bigger or smaller decisions, I try to make very consciously. I think about them. Because then even if it turns out that it was a mistake, at least in the future, I'm not going to have regret. I'm not going to look back and say, oh, I should have spent more time thinking about this or I should have considered more or be more open to the emotions that I felt. Yeah. So what I do is like every 90 days, I take a day off and I sit down and I write about 12 areas of my life, write about an introspective of myself, like how do I feel about each area? I become very conscious about where I feel good and where I feel I need to change something. And then I try to implement those changes within the next 90 mm -hmm. days. I think it was a very inspiring, uh, very inspiring to hear your story, to hear all of your things that you're involved around the world. So thank you very much for taking the time. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Thank you very much, everybody who stayed all the way till the end of this video. Thank you very much. And stay tuned now for the preview for next week. Have a great day.